0: You ready, Brenda? Do I need to turn on anything on? Yeah, make sure it's on because I'm really good at that. It says on. You're on, baby. It
1: says off, too, but it doesn't mean the thing's (laughs) in the right position.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um. We're jamming.
0: Welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I'm Todd Conklin, your host for today's Joyride. hope you're buckled up. Are you ready? So um, this podcast is going to be very special. I guess it is kind of very special. And uh, a lot of people are excited about this. And it is a very, very fun podcast. Today is a day where you will get to listen to Rob Fisher, Tony Mashara, Shane Bush, and myself sitting on a couch, um, not really four guys on a couch because that would be very close quarters. We'd be snuggling. There's no question. And all of us, I think, would feel okay snuggling with each other. I, of course, would be the lead of the snuggle, the snuggle pivot point, as it were. Tony would be riding the edges, and Rob and Shane would be somewhere in the middle if we were snuggling, but we're not. Really, there's only two people on a couch, two people on a chair, but we're sitting together talking, and I don't know... Honestly, you guys, if I've ever been together with those four guys at the same time before, or three guys, I'm often with myself. That's not that interesting. But uh, it, you just don't get to get those guys together very much. And so I asked them, since we were all together at, uh, at the conference, if they wouldn't mind sitting down and talking. And I would have I collectively taken more people as well. Uh, I just kind of ran the limit of my technology so i had enough to talk to four people and by golly i got four people counting me three people plus me i keep sort of including me as i as if i were i promise you i was there but it's not about me this is i i try to not even talk very much in this thing and so we started talking and i thought if i could get them to go 20 minutes you know that'd be pretty good 25 would be perfect but they man once you start the blab switch on those guys they blab and i Am willing to bet you, you'll find this interesting. It's just because they they talked about it, they talked really. The time frame that they're going to talk about is is late nineties, early two thousands, kind of on. So they're going to go way back in history and and tell really some stories that I that some of them I never heard before. I do think this was a really special opportunity. It's it's it. it my guess is it won't happen again. It's just hard. It's hard to get everybody together, and it's hard to get them in the mood where, where they want to reminisce like this. But the, they they were there, and it was midday. There were you know we, it, it, no one was uh, influenced by any external factors. Uh, we're just a bunch of friends sitting around talking, and I think you'll hear that. That is a great part of of doing the podcast. It's it's the reason I like to do these podcasts. It's the reason I think I continue to do them. Is because we get these we get these opportunities to just sit and talk to each other. And it started out with just Rob and Tony and myself. And I was desperately texting Shane, trying to find him. And sure enough, he walks by about, well, almost the perfect timing. He, he walks by when Tony starts talking about going to the Idaho National Lab and doing the first human performance class outside of the nuke world. And it really was the, the first one outside of the nuke world at Idaho. And Shane just kind of drops right in and, and, and becomes a part of that conversation. I hope you enjoy this immensely because I do think this is a pretty special time together and it's fun and it's not too boring and you're going to learn a lot. So near as I could tell, that almost makes it worth it listening to. I mean, you know what I mean? If it it does those things, then I think we're, we're pretty much set up. And what else you got to do if you're sitting in your car or walking the dog or flying on a plane or. Whatever I mean you know just sit back and relax and enjoy in fact, here's what I want you to imagine you're on the couch right there between Tony and I, so you're just you' you're an active member, you're sitting there relaxed laughing and, and listening. that's you you're, you're you're the fifth part of this uh this little conversation, and we're super glad you're there. so without much more crap because I could go on a long time just talking about stuff, why don't we get into it and just kind of take it as it as it runs? there's not really an agenda for this conversation. They're just talking and see what they say. And I'm glad to have you as a part of it. So without any further ado, this is Tony Mashara, Rob Fisher, Shane Bush, and Todd Conklin talking about the early days of understanding this new safety and human performance. Enjoy. So we talk. we talked about um,
1: people standing on the shoulders and, and how we were more in the creative mode, Tony. Of we, we, by our very nature, had to learn, practically apply, mm-hmm. do, learn, practically apply, do. There was a small number of us. Yeah. The question is, and, and, and so, on the one hand, there weren't a lot of shoulders to stand on as we were coming up. We Absolutely, were, we were we were uh, hanging the petons and. Getting the crampons and
0: you had Uncle slinging the rope. Right? You had, you had we James did. Reason.
1: From a theoretical perspective, right. we had Reason. We had De- probably David Rasmussen Woods and Jensen. David Woods. Rasmussen for sure. Yeah. And was Honley
0: in the mix yet?
1: No. Not yet. No? Not no. yet. Um, and Decker wouldn't have been in the mix. No, was he's not, he not would yet.
0: Have, he's probably wouldn't even born. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm
1: kidding. Was, <laughs> he was born.
2: <laughs> Barely. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I got excited. First, the first book I read was *Human Error* by James Reason. Me too. Right? And you know, like it was a tough read. Sometimes I had to read tar- paragraphs two or three times. But uh, the chapter seven, I always remember this chapter seven latent failures. That that particular you know, and, and his uh, his uh, always his uh, 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 um, analogy is was the latent pathogen analogy. Right. You know that just made so much sense. And then I read. Uh, uh, his uh, explanation of skill-based, rule-based, knowledge. I said, I said to myself, this stuff makes sense, and if we can just boil it down to something that's usable in the workplace, this would be worthwhile. What motivated you?
0: Because when you guys were doing this, well, first of all, what what made you think it was the right thing to do, and what motivated you to to do it?
1: So probably different perspectives. Yeah, I'm sure because. I'm- he was, Tony, is probably the best theoretical uh, understanding, knowledge, and in the, in the body of work that is related to human performance in the world.
0: I agree. And, and, and has the ability to translate it. That. Has ability to translate it operationally. So I so was it's not just the body yeah. of knowledge. It's the ability to speak it
2: out and make it. Well, that's what John Retho, I don't know if you know John He's a he was a colleague or is a colleague of James Reason. He was a consultant. And that, he called me a translator.
1: Yeah. So that He's called that was me a translator. My role was to take the translation right. and interpret it for operators which is what I was doing. So at at about the same time this is probably 90 91 92 time frame he was Tony was um Getting excited about these things, and I was saying, yeah, but will they work with mm-hmm. operators, mechanics, right. electricians, and supervisors? So
0: what made you, what made you, what motivated you to do it? I mean, first,
1: first, I was motivated by the fact that if I didn't do this well, I had to go back on shift work. So full <laughs> disclosure, <laughs> I hated shift work, oh, no. and I was assigned to human performance, root cause, and procedures, and business processes. to get out of
0: who? In the, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I got a million questions. Who in the industry first discovered human performance to even bring the idea in?
2: Well, TMI actually. Right. They, they oh, the Wash report, Wash fourteen hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's the right word, right phrase, but uh, uh, the output of that of that accident said that human error was the primary cause. But, of, of the accident.
1: Yeah. WASH. But South Texas Project was the first. Site to have their keys taken away for human performance. Hmm.
0: I didn't know that. Really? Yes. So then it yeah. gets pretty real. I mean, yeah. and
1: and that that's when they handed out the book Human Air and said, "I mean, this guy's been working on it since three miles." And that's how I got put on the human performance improvement team. That that forced me to say, if I don't want to be on shift work, I've got to get good at this, and and. But it so intrigued me that while Tony was saying, this makes sense, I was saying, how do I make this make sense to everybody that needs it? Mm. So on the skill-based, rule-based, knowledge-based piece, which, as you know, has been a passion of mine, I had to take what was written about it and dissect it from the research and say, now, what does an operator, mechanic, electrician, supervisor need to know?
0: At the time... You know this, right? Rasmussen and Reason did not like each other exactly. at all. I mean, correct, like mortal yeah frenemies. I wouldn't say enemies, but frenemies, right? right?
2: So that was an interesting part of it. What What did you start with? So you started with Reason. Well, well, what happened is uh, you know I joined Impo in 1985, and they had this program, which was an outgrowth of the TMI report, uh, Human Performance Enhancement System H P E S. Right. It That's was even a worse name, I think we've actually found a worse name, but it was it was but it was the starting name but that was the starting thing it, and so it was fashioned after the uh aviation safety reporting system right. Right? Yep. and and it and, and and so I got involved with that and it was more or less an investigation process was
1: Bruce and John Groth and those guys right
2: yep yep and uh and Rick Lorette yep uh, uh, Joe bishop, uh, that crew uh Mark Pfeiffer. You know, yeah who's who's retired now but anyway <clears throat> and so in 1989 EMPO decided well we passed we transferred that technology onto the nuclear industry hps so we stopped doing HPES. and 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 uh, uh and then Zach pate the president of impo said we need to understand uh, uh what's the prevalent causes of events in the industry and it turned out it was human performance just a percentage so the percentage of the causes, the triggers of, of, uh, of events transitioned from event or uh, um, equipment to human performance in 1990, 1991. And uh, he, he commissioned a special review committee of, uh, of various experts, Aubrey Daniel, Terrence Lee, and uh, a, a few others, and uh, I actually had the opportunity to work with that, that uh, review committee and that's where the recommendations came out. The industry needs to understand the system's perspective of human performance. Because James Reason's book, Human Error, came out in 91. Right. And so that was the state of the art in human performance when this special review committee. Yeah, for sure. Right. And so 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 that that influenced the mindset of the committee.
0: When did you guys put together sort of the first fundamental stuff, the when you, what,
2: in the, fact, uh, in, in, in fact, Rob was part of that pilot, you know that role. First
1: graduating class, uh, <laughs> still on my wall. Really? Yes.
0: <laughs> it, Heck we, yeah! Uh, I'm proud of that, man. Were they using the hockey player metaphors then to too? Oh yeah. sure. Yeah. We'll I didn't the, the understand hockey. In, yeah, I was going to say, the, the hardest sell was selling hockey to us. I know it, you've I know got it. a bunch of hicks from Hickville, yeah. and we pretty much,
2: between the three of us, are hicks from Hickville. I don't I want to throw any stones. Iowa, Alabama. But well, now tech, we're right high-tech
1: rednecks. So.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so with the excellence in the, uh, human performance uh, uh, booklet was an outgrowth of that committee. And then somebody said, well, we need to train the industry. <clears throat> And so that's when we developed the humor performance fundamentals course and uh Tom Reeder and myself yep. did a road show uh, and uh, we did a number of pilots and uh we we were on the road for a couple of years. I mean in, in,
1: in those first classes you had myself, John Owens, LD Holland, Karen Jennings, Karen Hammond now. Mm-hmm. We were all in the first classes that mm-hmm. ever tried this and and from those classes going back to reasons work i would say yeah that's great but what really matters is that i get a knowledge based performance mode that means my error rate is 10 to 50% how do i discover that mm. and then what do i do about it right. that was a completely different conversation than skill based rule based knowledge base exists oh, totally. and and uh and, and, and so i started working on what became known as triggers that would tell us we were there. So what are the triggers that tell us a trap exists? We developed all of those. What are the triggers that tell us we've slipped into knowledge-based performance mode? Because we don't know what you don't know, which was a new phrase. That wasn't in the old books. It was how do we convey to people when they move into that piece? So we took these chunks and we just developed them tried them worked them and then came back together with each other as hprct started and said this this worked this you guys just this guys well,
0: i remember early on in h it was traps triggers and what was the other tools tools. tools i remember the, the three first, t's the first time i saw you really in action i'd seen you before in the community but the first time i saw you teach a class was at hprct i think it was in monterey i don't know why did they do them in Monterey? Or yeah. England?
1: Yes, I did. That sounds right.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, I don't know why. Th- that. I remember it because it's Monterey. yes, yeah. You can't, like a glass of water in Monterey cost $35 <laughs> back then. But that was really, that was super early on the journey. And that was really interesting. Now, at that time, um, we were really aligned towards error management, right? right? I mean, if
2: we thought a, a lot well, about
0: say, air is something we could manage.
2: The problem, and we had this discussion about the principles, right. right? and I worked with Dr. James Reason on those principles. I actually traveled to to Manchester, England, sat down next to James Reason in his office, and we, we, we knocked out those principles. And
1: by the way, not to interrupt, that's the way we tell the story, that don't believe that we sat down and, and thought, well, what do we need to tell senior leaders? No, no, no. The guys that invented this said, "These are the guiding principles right. that will change your paradigms. This isn't something Rob or, or somebody else just thought. We'll tell them this and it'll be okay." Mm-hmm. Go ahead, yeah. Tony. Yeah, sorry to interrupt.
2: No, no, it's uh, it's important that uh, we didn't make this stuff up. Exactly. We, we went to the researchers. Yeah, I, I, science, and I mean, I you was, get no
0: better than the. I mean, that's a first reference. You set by James Reason. That's, yeah, yeah.
2: In fact, it, just, just I smell his breath. I, I have to tell you this uh, little aside. In his office, we're sitting there, and he's got books everywhere, like any academic would. And uh, we took a break, and behind his desk, there's a window, and I was standing next to the window, looking out, you know, looking at the university. And there's a do- there's a window or another building, maybe twenty feet from his 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 window. And I'm looking over there, and James Reason, you know, he, he saddles up next to me, and he says, you see that window over there? I say, yeah. Well, that was Neil's Bo- Neil Bohr's office where the atom was discovered.
0: Oh, my gosh, really? Yes. So <laughs> this
1: this is an anecdotal story, but I was with Patrick Hudson not long ago. Do you know who took over James Reason's office? He did.
2: Patrick S- Hudson? No, no,
1: Stephen Hawking.
2: Oh, Stephen yeah, Hawking. Really?
1: If you think about the – infinity of knowledge that we've gained as a world so again it was anecdotal i'm pretty sure that's what this is a pretty sure story yeah but either way that that place has been so so historical so instrumental
0: certainly to the work we do because because reason would have but at that point reason would have been just coming off of well three mile island for sure Mm -hmm.
2: But before well, that, he would have was been in the, the rail safety stuff with the British Rail, right? That, Correct. And uh, he was he was actually uh, developing his last uh, uh, manuscripts for managing the risk of organizational So can I tell
1: a story of. about that? I, I'm not a hoarder, but I've, I've kept you all know, the – You
2: know when you
0: start a sentence, I'm not a hoarder, it, it totally means you're a hoarder.
1: Only <laughs> if you use the word but. And,
0: oh, okay. Okay, never <laughs> Which mind. I did. Yeah, I know. You did.
1: Uh my wife owns twenty five percent of our company and has for twenty five years and and she really keeps us on track for understanding the business side of what we do. She was going through these boxes of books that were going through their eighth or ninth move when we just you know, we just bought an office in Charlotte and have our Center for Excellence there. She pulls out, Jim came over and sat down at us at Info and handed out a a document that says do not copy and on the top it says organizational accidents he says this is a working title and what i've given you here are the ideas for this book organizational accidents she found that copy outstanding sitting in one of my old boxes Mm -hmm. and and i i get chills thinking about the fact that we sat there having these discussions about the practical applications of what he was writing. And it's all just an outline of what he was thinking about saying in what became managing the risks of organizational accidents.
0: What were the hardest concepts for you guys to initially grasp? I mean, I asked that because generally speaking, I probably went two years without teaching performance modes just because I didn't feel like I didn't feel like I had a, that, the handle on it to do it the kind yeah. of justice I need to do it.
2: I, I my reaction to that question is uh, I was I was hanging on to what James Reason was writing at the time. I think at that time he was the only one that had uh, uh, any any uh, uh, publications in, in the marketplace
1: directly related directly to this. related to this. Right,
2: and, and I remember. This is, my reaction was, this all makes too much sense. I, I really didn't struggle with much of what he was saying, uh, but I, it needed to be con, uh, translated into what the the nuclear industry could understand, what managers needed to understand. Now, this, you know, Tom Reeder, Tom and I were on that, doing this road show, and this takes me up to 2001 when I went out to Idaho National Labs. Right. And, and introduced it to, to you guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but... Uh, but uh and, and still we were still it was still a little on the theoretical side, and we're still trying to translate it into something practical at that point. but uh i f- I made a mistake. I made a mistake in thinking that you could all we had to do was is educate management, hear are the concepts, here are the principles, now go forth and do good. And uh, I remember going to a nuclear plant in Illinois and uh and presenting i did a half day session with the the senior management team and the engineering manager he i when i concluded he just said now what <laughs> what do you want me to do so
1: that was the time that you guys were still doing that piece in nuclear but i had left mm-hmm. and, and was i had to do practical application because that was what was demanded Outside of nuclear, yeah. So you went
0: out so early. What what caused you to go out? Um, Which again, I would suggest is kind of courageous.
1: Well, thanks. Looking back on it, I, I haven't told this story very often, but looking back on it, our my wife was pulled aside at church by some of the people that I worked with and said, "Don't let him do it. Yeah, He's not he very doing? good at it. He uh, the the field isn't emerging." And you're gonna, your family's going to starve. Do not let him do this. And she looked back at him and said, "We're not letting him do it. We're all in this together. We're encouraging this. And if he wasn't good at it, he wouldn't be making two, three times on in part time outside of work. Rob, <laughs> what do you, you make that work it then? Yeah. Well, thank you, Tony. You were good at thank it you. then. <laughs> I, well, so now here's what of, I t- now
0: I understand: with a with a supportive family. Why you were successful? Oh, that's got to be a part of your success. And it
1: wasn't even. It's it's like I tell managers: we don't need you to support what's going on. It's going to fail if you support it. We need you to drive what's going on. Mm -hmm. You have to have some driving and leading behaviors. And if you don't do that, we're never going to get past the first senior leader session.
0: So because I'm not going to do that. How much has your class changed? Sent from that first class in 2001. or are, are we in
2: 2001, 2002? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, um. Well, I can tell you, just given context, you know, back in those days, the emphasis was on error prevention. Yeah. A and error
1: prevention tools.
2: And tools, yeah. You're right. And uh, the nuclear industry, you know, from my perspective, uh, they, to a certain extent, adulterated the approach to human performance. Originally, if you read the excellence document and then some of the other You know, the the Human Performance Fundamentals uh, manual, uh, reference manual, it really put a focus on the organization. But managers in the industry took it and applied it just to the workers. Yeah,
1: their interpretation. Yeah. So that was, here's what we want to do. We're going to cherry pick what's out there. And I had the obligation to not let the clients cherry pick. So to answer your question, on the fundamental side – It would be like saying, how much has um, how you tackle changed in football? And the reality is it hasn't changed much. It's changed a little bit. Until recently. Until recently, which which now, which is so great because now we're learning. So the whole traps, triggers, tools thing was the next level because now you couldn't do tools unless you understood traps and triggers. Right. And by the way, who sets the traps? Those are latent. Where do the latent things come from the organization? I can make direct connections that's between those important
0: because remember initially when we rolled programs, uh, we would roll tools class out without a problem. Exactly. So no concept on the trap, right? No concept on the trigger. So we're basically teaching tools that have no applied use. Mm-hmm. They're conceptual yeah. tools. It's like giving somebody a star bit screwdriver, and And a one day lesson on how to use yeah. it and then sending them in a world where there are no star bit screws, yeah right. or there's some but but they're pretty they're, rare
1: they're pretty rare yeah. and then and then, as you grow that, we had to figure out I had to figure out, and our company had to figure out what's the initiator on this whole trigger concept. Um, once you see one now, what do you do about it? So we, so mm. the next step was, what do the traps look like? What do they feel like? What do they do with you? And then what do you do about them? So what do they look like and what do they feel like became the triggers to tell yeah. you that you might fall in the trap that made Which you vulnerable. Sense, right? I mean, it, yeah. Yeah.
0: It to, so all this to stuff made
1: sense to me as a, as a worker. What do I need? And what that led to was now, okay. What do I need a supervisor to know if I need that? Right. What do I need a manager to know if I need that? And what does a senior leader need to know and do if I need that?
0: When did the IMPO manual come out? Two thousand six. Yeah. So
2: that, this is later. Yeah. And did the manual come out and then the tools? Right. No. Well. Uh, yeah. The uh, the uh, human performance tools for workers came out uh, in oh seven or no, I'm sorry, in oh six. Did the manual? And the, the Human Forms Tools for Workers came out in '06.
1: But at that time, interestingly enough, we had been doing those things yeah. mm-hmm. in other industry, and and I had migrated a bit out of nuclear because you couldn't get them to listen to you unless it came from impo.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: So you know, we had we and were
2: cherry we picking as well.
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so we kind of went and piloted this. Oh, so I I took the. Let's protect the plant from the people concept mm-hmm. and turned it into a let's protect the people from the plant concept yeah. and realized nothing changes in humans, human performance, and leadership when you flop those two things.
0: When did, or maybe why, but when did we become less interested in air? When did air become less interesting? Maybe that's a way to ask that question.
2: Well, it was, it, also it was also in 2006 when uh, resilience engineering started to to surface. You know, 2003 is when White and Sutcliffe's book, uh, Managing the Unexpected, came right. out, and so that influenced me. But any, any influence from Carleen Roberts and Toddler Point? Yeah, types? that was that was embedded in in, uh, in White and Sutcliffe's book. Uh, it, I'll be honest with you, I really hadn't read much from from uh, Carlene or, or Todd Laporte, yeah, yeah, at that point. So my first introdu- introduction to HRO was was managing the unexpected in '03. What do you think about that book? I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, especially the uh, the, ch- the five checklists. You know, you hear and you see a lot
1: of that in your writing. Yeah. hmm A lot of that how-to in your. But writing. But
2: see that that was an indicator that we needed to look more at the system you yeah. at the organization, and that influenced the the, the uh, reference I man. Here he comes. There he is. <laughs> Get in here.
1: <laughs> hey, it's one o'clock. Time for us to have our meeting. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I
2: didn't know it was. It wasn't. We just were all here, and you weren't. It, it, and now that Shane's here, remember uh, we were talking about my trip to Idaho National Lab? And yeah, read, yeah, uh, yeah. 101? Well, that's where Shane was. Yeah, that's where I met Shane. And did Shane look young and innocent then?
3: <laughs> oh no, that was twenty. I uh, probably about twenty thirty pounds ago. <laughs>
1: Live is the word you're looking for.
3: You still look as good.
0: In my mind, you're still as young and vibrant as you were the day I met you. Wow.
1: He did say in his <laughs> mind. I do these
0: podcasts. I'm lying. So, what was it like when Tony came out to Idaho?
3: Oh man, it was very eye opening. In fact, I can. So how much prep, I... How much prep did you have before? It happened before he came out. Yeah, I wasn't even invited to the meeting. <laughs> and so well, tell us no, more. Honestly, yeah, my boss Bill Gay is the one that invited him out, and it was for managers, and I wasn't a manager. But I read the MPO manual because we've been exposed to it prior and some slides, and so I just snuck in the back. But yeah, I can remember. Just and there thinking. was a lot of
2: snow on the ground.
3: Tony and I have been, or I mean, uh, well, we did talk about this mm-hmm. before. Um, it was so eye-opening to me because I I knew I wanted to go out and do some kind of consulting of some sort. just didn't know what the subject was going to be. So when I was first exposed to this, I immediately was drawn to it. So I started reading all the books, the Decker, or not Decker, ben, but James Reason. Um, his first book was a little hard to understand. It wasn't nearly as easy as <laughs> the That's a new PM. theme. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, you're be- I think you're
0: being really kind <laughs> right now.
3: <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, it was uh, was just really the eye-opener that got me started his interest uh, or the way he made it so interesting as far as the – it was just so different. What what was Tony's – that first class like? What was Tony's first class like? Well, it was so interesting because if you understand the um, culture we were under, it was 180 degrees different. Oh, yeah. And and so it wasn't like everybody was sitting there buying in. There was a lot of people that were very uncomfortable with the message. Oh, yeah. And so – um, that told me that there was really something to this. <laughs> yeah, that
0: makes it more legit. Well, what was the early pushback like
3: for you? What was it like for you, Rob? The early pushback
2: out in <laughs> commerce, out in the marketplace, right? Yeah,
0: or or
1: well, re-
2: I mean, the, wherever you got, there, it. you got it everywhere. Sure, it.
1: sure. I mean, because we were the first planet that was put on notice, and we had no choice but to do human performance, which had never really been done at that mm-hmm. point. It had, been, it had just been talked about from a theoretical perspective. Um I, I had an interesting boss that gave me as much rope as I wanted with the belief that at some point I'd probably hang myself, but he wanted me to have as much rope as I could to do what we wanted. I mean, remember slit Vamo. oh
2: slut Vamo. Yeah. yeah we
1: tried this <laughs> thing that became star that was Slut Vamo and self-checking. Um, we thought, it was a self checking yeah, tool. Yeah, it was a self checking tool. I'm glad a you guys s- changed that name. A actually. seven <laughs> check a seven S-L-T-V-A-M-O. step self checking tool. And,
0: and Slut well, Vemo. But, yeah, but that we, sounds like you'd go to jail for shame. It, it does sound like that.
3: Porno names by the <laughs> yeah, I, know, <laughs> I
0: only ask you their porno <laughs> oh, name.
3: Thank you, and, and there's another and one. called So, Piscopo. Piscopo, that's yeah, so the <laughs> initial
1: pushback was managers saying, eh, why would I listen to an operator? They don't know what I do. Yeah. So I'll hmm. listen to an operator that is telling operators how they can reduce air. But I'm not going to listen to an operator in my own house that is telling me how to manage. And I'm certainly not going to listen to one that says, now we're going to shift the blame from the worker yeah. to the manager, oh, which yeah. is what they heard even though no one was saying it. And I actually had a boss that told me this, and it was it was genius to hear. He said, Rob, listen, we send you out all over the country, now all over the world, to gather and do and bring it back and do. But just remember, this management team thinks they will never be less than two weeks smart, or smarter than you are. Whatever you bring us, two weeks later, you teach us. So you, I'm sorry, you're never more than two weeks smarter than we are.
0: Yeah, yeah. You got two weeks to tell them everything you learned every time. Exactly. You. And then as,
1: instead of it being a, um, we. We don't know everything you know but we now know a lot it's we know everything you know in other words you've taught us everything that you know now go out and learn more so that piece of managers believing that and, and this is why they embraced the tools so much because they weren't theirs they belong to the workers yeah. if workers and this is why especially in new nu- they started blaming the tools right. as the barrier that failed as a root cause because yeah. that wasn't management. That they was were using the, the tools as a weapon. As a no, weapon, exactly. S-
0: now, because you were from IMPO, did you not get a lot? You probably got a lot. I got a lot of push. Did you really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, you came from IMPO. So when you walked well, in, angels would sing and a ray of light
2: No, would come no that's not red. true. That's not true. Oh, yeah. that's just my impression. We're
1: from IMPO. We're here to help you. Yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but at IMPO... It seemed that whenever we did our plant evaluation, we started back in in '99 uh, time frame. There was a revision of our performance objectives and criteria, and that's when human performance became part of the plant evaluation, and uh, and so a lot of the organizations started using the human performance tools just to show info that right. we're doing doing human performance, and that and that's where we got uh, the industry got in trouble. Uh, they would start uh, just – whenever impo would show up, they would just do the tools without really knowing why they're doing the tools, just to show we're in compliance. They
1: right. would actually teach showmanship yeah. of the tools before impo got there. I mean,
0: I, I – I, Oh, no, I can imagine. I, I was asked the to come into – the, yeah. yeah,
1: I was asked to come into several plants to do impo preps to show people – how to how to show INPO they were using the tools, right. and and two of those after two of those I figured out what I was so, really being used for, and I stopped doing them.
2: So the problem INPO was part of the problem in that uh, it, 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 the adult the you know, evaluation process basically forced the industry to focus on error prevention, just using tools right. without understanding the systems perspective associated with human performance. So so I hear you saying, and I think this is worthwhile
0: that it's really the system's perspective that changed the way we looked at error. It's not the lack of value of error. So I remember when we did the podcast where we were talking about error. Mm-hmm. You know, I come from the school of thought that says error is so normal it's not even interesting. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm listening to you, maybe what I should say is I come to a, from a school of thought where the systems are so powerful
2: mm-hmm.
0: that they make error less important.
2: I've always. I've, I'm still. A, I'm still an advocate, as you say. As saying, we got to avoid critical errors. Right. Yes. I don't yeah, care yeah. which errors you make. I just don't want you to make an error that's going to kill you. Right. That's the one I want to and, avoid. And the difference
0: between you and me, or between Rob and I, and Shane, I don't, I don't know where we are in this because we never talked about it. Yeah. Is that I would say an error that has significant consequence is not about the error; it's about the lack of tolerance in the system to actually have the error. Yes. Uh, so, right.
1: so what we have to do from from the 30,000 foot foot perspective that's absolutely true what we have to do is draw the line for people between those two things right and and so the perspective it's not that we don't share the perspective it's that we have to look at the line between the two so we can so that we can take other people there that shifting of the paradigm for their understanding, they can't make that. I'll give you an example of the of the error is less interesting when we were having that conversation. Error um, is truly less interesting unless you're sitting there trying to figure out how an error hurt, maimed, or killed someone in your organization, in which case I don't have a choice but to be interested in the error because I don't understand where you're coming from on error is less interesting yet until somebody draws that line for me. Yeah, so yeah. the systemic thing was the same thing. The reason, systems approach. So what I did was said, oh, okay, well, what does a system look like that somebody operates in? And that's where that people, programs, processes, mm-hmm. work environment, mm-hmm. organization, equipment came from. I, I took some of uh, Covey's stuff about control, influence, and concern and said nothing can be in the system that you're concerned about. I may be concerned about culture, but I've got no control or influence on it on back all the way back to Rasmussen. This person on this task at this time. The system has to be about that in that moment. So that so we had to stop telling people it's just about systems and tell them here's a system you can tell people to look at that they can then have some influence over that they can see. Where those traps, tools come from—all of those elements. But it's
0: interesting because initially, in human performance, we were pretty—we were pretty non-pulsed by risk. Right. We didn't. We didn't yeah. spend a lot of time at all talking about risk. Yeah. Yep. But think—think think
1: about it. that though. The, the, it was—it was nuclear grade going in, and here's one of my. When you asked about one of the challenges. Yes. One of the challenges was the nukes never understood that they had three redundant layers of protection between any significant problem and any action that people were taking. And they went out and told somebody in a manufacturing facility that had zero defense in depth that they should be doing the, thinking the same way.
3: And it didn't sell well, Enter so Shane Bush. Yeah, and i got to ask you a quick question because, uh, first of all, the experience you had, and I'd have never known that you had the pushback you did mm-hmm. until you told me because I always hail info on in the commercial power plants as, <laughs> man, if you want to learn, right? But we purposely in DOE tried not to regulate this because what we have found is if you push it as a requirement, then you run into what Rob, what you mentioned, the fact that, okay, before they come, let's prep and make sure we're showing the right face. But as soon as you leave… Then we go back to business yep. as usual. So, so far, we've, we've actually had pretty good luck. Now, the cost to that is some facilities just don't do it. Yeah. Uh, but the, the good news is those that do it are doing it for the right reason.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very similar in the manufacturing world, though. There, we don't want it to be regulated. In fact, we don't even want it to be a program. Because right. program right. But in Nuke, if it wasn't a program, nobody would do it.
3: Right, and so you mm-hmm. had to force it. You, so we had to create something right. that was
1: not programmatic
3: right, but effective. So I want to ask this then because you mentioned this, and, and I've always struggled and never had the avenue to ask you guys together. Uh, we talk about critical steps, and there's a number of definitions, but I think we all get basically what a critical step is. We found that there are so many people that consciously decided, well, this human performance stuff's not for us. Because I really don't have a critical step where somebody's going to die. I yeah. don't have a critical – so they just – they would say stuff like that. It's not for me as an engineer. It's not for me I, – I don't kill people. So we created those three unwanted outcomes, injury, mission right. interruption, and damage. And that way there's not a single person that could argue this stuff isn't for us. Right. Because my errors might not kill someone, but they could yeah. sure interrupt the mission or they could sure cause damage if done incorrectly. So if it's all right, what's your thoughts on the fact that we – broke it down to those three things, which could be defined by critical steps, but not necessarily.
2: Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you, that's, you know, that's uh, been my sentiment as well. Um, I, when I started my own business back in 08, and then I, I had the opportunity to do some work with General Electric, and so we started doing some assessments of, of human performance, how they did business. Right. We went to uh, their GE Healthcare up in Chicago, and uh, they're, they were manufacturing the little uh, uh, iron pellets or se- uh, seeds that were coated with uh, a radioactive iodine for uh, – uh, uh, what's the – Oh, medical f- – pr- uh, prostate? Uh, prostate, prostate cancer. Yeah. For prostate <laughs> cancer. And, uh, and, and so it was all done by glove bags. And, and GE originally asked me to come in and help, help with uh, industrial safety, you know, fatalities and, and uh, serious injuries. And so I knew that it was more than just personnel safety. I knew that human performance it didn't matter uh, uh, where these uh, uh, principles and practices were applied. It was more than just safety. Yeah. It was really yeah. profitability, productivity, uh, quality. Uh, Everything. Yeah. It, 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 it was across the board. But I didn't tell them that until it happened at at the GE Healthcare, and the plant manager was part of the my the, the training that I had there. Yeah. And, and, and when we went and did the observation of the of the process, he realized that this is more than just safety. Yeah. This is quality. This is production. This is profitability. It's it's environmental protection. Anywhere where human beings are involved, this, this HPI or you know, well, human performance and, and, supports. And that's
3: why I mentioned that is because my experience has been if I get an hour or more in front of senior management, it's... It, it, it becomes a business initiative. Yeah. It's Not a profit multiple. Yeah. It's everything. It's a business. It's the way we're going to change the, and frame everything.
1: So when and, we created that system, one of the elements of that was, and, and I shared this on the, on day one, it doesn't matter where you're at, homework or play. I can use that system to help yeah, my absolutely. 14-year-old yeah. mow the yard better. But it doesn't matter what you're doing. Quality, safety, effectiveness, efficiency, productivity, doesn't matter what you're doing. Yeah. And what that did was it opened up companies that we we don't care what door we come in. It used to be you came in the safety door a lot, but I would oh. say it's 33% safety door now and, and 66% yeah. other business need because the system is completely agnostic to what you're doing. Right. And when people accept that, that engineer is then devoided of that's not what I do. You don't design something that could – and your three are very close to ours. It's it's somebody might get hurt, something might get broken, and somebody might not be satisfied. And the reason the satisfaction element came in there, there's all kinds of ways that people are not – their needs aren't satisfied, that that system – and human performance, therefore, can fix. So even our move into service and retail is less about um, people getting hurt, maimed, and killed, yeah. and more about the fact that they spend billions on not retaining people because their needs aren't met. Right.
2: Right. Yeah, in fact, uh, I landed on harm as an overall arching idea, but I defined harm as damage, yeah. loss, or injury. So it sounds very similar. It, well, and, yeah. and, and and
3: that we <laughs> independently came to this idea of rather than it being just injury or death or uh, that universally it can apply to anything. So we all come up with our terms or phrases to make sure that happens. But yeah, and that's been the most rewarding thing. I have yet to walk into a company. This hasn't applied. I, uh, oh, yeah. I, I mean exactly.
1: And 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 look, my heart is still in fatal fatality, serious life altering injury yeah. prevention. Preventing, uh, uh, eliminating preventable deaths because I think we can really help with that. And, and like you say, Todd, it's not as much the error is the interesting part, but understanding and predicting the failure mechanism that gets us to this catastrophic outcome. I just care so much about people that I don't want the suffrage.
2: Right. But what's, what I've discovered over the last 12 years I've been doing this is that, uh, Managers are realizing that if you want to avoid serious harm in the workplace with your product or with your people or your environment, whatever, you've got to look at the system. Exactly. you got to look at how yep. your organization works or doesn't work to support that operator or that technician or that craft who's turning the wrench uh, in a way that uh, if they do make a mistake, you fail safely. But,
0: but getting there is the part that I find so interesting. You all got there. But you didn't get there together. You all sort of organically discovered this larger um, purpose, really, this larger understanding of of the process. I find that really interesting. Well, I
1: think consciously or subconsciously we work together in that we heard each other's ideas. Mm-hmm. I, I was a I was a pretty good translator, I think, of, mm-hmm. of some of the things that Tony was saying. You know, managers, you okay, but I've got to figure out how to tell them that in a way that'll get them to shift their paradigm. All right. And and there are certain groups of people that the Tony's pragmatic theoretical uh, approach. It hits them, but then they'll ask that question: "Okay, how do we do that?" Mm-hmm. We were always the the how to people. But we didn't really have
0: we didn't really have a community per se. No, I mean, we, how, did, well, we how did we thought we did with each other? Well, well no, I think we did.
2: I mean, I don't know. Mean HPRCT to had a little bit to do with that. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but I'd come in and watch you two, or you know, yeah. watch you guys pr- present and say, "Oh, that's a good idea." But
0: HPRCT, we kind of got in the do loop for a while where it was sort of the same things over and over yeah. again. And we all know we went through that. Yeah. But how were, we, um, how were we reading developing – like when did Decker slip into this story?
2: That's back in the 06, uh, uh, oh, that yeah. time frame, because that's when the resilience engineering book. But he was coming and, out of Woods, yeah. So he's coming out. Oh, sorry, the
0: Ohio State. The well, he, he was Ohio one of the he was, <laughs> University.
2: Yeah, he was one of the co co authors with Woods behind the, behind human The Air curtain book, right, right? Right, yeah, right. Which I liked. That, I think, yeah, it's that a was a good book, I think. But then he then I think it was about that same time he wrote his first book, uh, uh, the Field Guide it's to went, Understanding. But How that wasn't the original name. That's what's interesting about it.
1: That, what? Book, that book had a first name. The Field Guide to Understanding Human Error. What was I can't the first name? Remember what it
3: was. Are you
0: talking about the red and black version, the skinny one? Yeah,
1: yeah. that
3: that did have a different name. It yeah. was the Field Guide to Oh, you're right. Investigating. 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 Yeah, exactly. that right. changed to Understanding, understanding was a, because of the philosophy we're talking about. So we so we in between, sat around
1: one day with the Field Guide to
3: invent yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. Sydney's going to kill us for not knowing this. But uh, <laughs> I I knew Sydney. I was on the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and so, so,
1: oh God, you're pandering to Decker. We were actually sitting around talking about that book, and then the next version came out. I said, "Well, that's a that's
0: a better way." Well, to then, say but this the next to version this. sucked.
1: The, well, no you yeah, Guide to understand it in there yeah,
0: because it was about twice as thick. I didn't suck. That's, well, and, but then, the, the, that red and black book was amazing. Now, this could be I a did, bias. I did love it.
3: Well, I had it as a prerequisite for every one of my I classes as a red. I still do. I, I, in fact, I agree. And and I have to admit that I still actually try to buy the original one just because I like the flow of it. Exactly. Uh, and so you can get it for now 8 bucks rather than the 30 well, or 40 Well, and
0: the, and the red and black one, the skinny one, yeah.
3: it was 120
0: pages. Yeah. That's where yeah. I To the least, point. You should, me, write, understand. you should write a small yeah. book. Well, that's, that's where I stole the idea from is I thought the book that had the most legs – yeah. For me, but had the most leaks for my people was the little book. And the, right. the
1: question you asked about when Sydney came along. I think that when people realized that when the nukes realized that his work on cockpit command command and control and the way he portrayed that could be used for control room command and control. That really sparked the interest of the nuke side. And, and that was allowed to develop. But by that time, we were using the original works to get to people do what they do at the time. They do it for reasons that make sense right. to them at that yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. But,
0: but to me, what's so interesting, and I guess I'm just interested just because we're all together, is that for some reason, somehow, that first Decker book really filled in the blanks mm-hmm. from the reason stuff. It did. And, and translated it. And it really... There's no reason that book should have been successful as it was, mm-hmm. but it was incredibly successful. I mean, incredibly successful. Well, and I think – Well, think it was yeah.
2: written from a workplace perspective, yeah. I thought, which, and which those cities of us that are out there really using had. it.
0: Look, yeah. I, that, why
1: would they believe this guy that came from nuclear that might be wanting to nuke them, which I, I've told him <laughs> a long time ago, I'm not – but instead of believing me, if I can hand them a book – Independent of you. Independent of mm-hmm. me. Yeah. They said, look, read this. Yeah. Then let's talk about it. When I say the things that are in there, it's his things, not my thing. And then we can
3: build on that paradigm shift. And here's what I love about what I'm hearing here is I've had many of people, and I'm sure you have, that have sat through the thing and come up and said, I want to do this. I, I want to do what you do for a living. I'll, yeah. I'll carry oh, yeah. your luggage. I'll do whatever, but I want to do what you do. And they'll ask, so how do I become Shane Bush? And I said, well, here's the problem. I'm a, I'm a little bit of... uh." um Todd Conklin, I'm a little bit of Tony Machera, I'm a little bit of Rob Fisher, I'm and a, little a little bit of country. Long before country was cool, by the way. Uh, but honestly, it's, it is it is one of those things where you listen to each other. Just this conference alone, I stole a few things from uh, Todd, and as usual, I'll give him credit the first couple of times, but then it becomes mine. Yeah, right. yeah. But, but I don't claim, honestly, I don't claim originality on any of this, because I can't. I don't know who I actually heard some of this stuff from that I've formulated into quotes. and yeah. Now, I can go back to a few James Reason quotes and stuff, and, and Todd, I've been around enough that I can quote him. But most of the time, it, it, it's not origination, but we've, we've uh, grown together. Even though we're independent of one another, we've grown together as a, uh, I don't want to call it an industry, but certainly uh, as a movement.
0: Well, mm-hmm. Thomas Kuhn, who's a famous... Theoretician for science, for the culture of science, uh, a good read. He calls he calls the growth that scientists have individually, but collectively, becomes physics or whatever. You know how three different people can have the same concept. He calls that the invisible college, and hmm. to a great extent, what you guys are describing this afternoon is kind of the invisible college. It's we've sort of developed, we've co-developed, with very little opportunities to really interface. I mean, we had them, but we're talking basically HPRCT bumping into
2: airports and you know, the exactly. HRO, the HRO, the HRO, HRO bumping good.
1: into each other in and, New York, New York and Vegas. Yeah, in Vegas. <laughs> weirdly just bizarrely enough. <laughs> to me,
0: that I think is really a part of it. Decker asked me last week and he was quite serious when he asked me, "Where what, what are we doing? Where are the where's the generation behind us?" What are we doing to foster and create the capacity for us? Because we're yeah. all at a point now in our career where we're 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 almost in our early forties. Um,
3: <laughs> Forty years doing this. You must years be talking Abby, <laughs> yeah.
0: right. There's somebody. Here we're right at a point boy. now where the road's hard, and yeah. grandkids are fun—way mm-hmm. more fun than teaching a class. That's way where I more am. More fun than teaching a class. What What are we doing to to facilitate um. the 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 next group of experts. Well,
2: here's I, here's where I am. I I, I have to pers- I have to personally say that I take a lot of uh, uh, pleasure in knowing that I've had influence on a number of people who have decided to start their own businesses. You in mean this, us, right? Not the, the, the three, not, three of us. Just, not yeah. just, no, no. I well, had, we do. You know, we Bush. mean the three <laughs> of us. No, no, no. no. no it, but it's. But I see a lot of people coming up. I don't mm-hmm. see a gap there. I don't. I don't see that. I see a, a several people working, uh, even though the the number of consultants, so to speak, or the number of people working in the marketplace is still less than the demand. Yeah. The demand so, is much greater. Than I thought it would be. Yeah.
0: I, and I didn't mean, and I, I certainly don't mean. This and this down, HPRCT. I know. It's amazing.
2: Oh, what? Thir- two-thirds of the people yeah. in there are new, newcomers. And, and
0: I don't mean to sound like um, the generation below us isn't good. I don't mean any of that. Uh, the question I think that Decker was getting to, but he didn't get to, is why aren't universities yeah, embracing this conversation yeah, so yeah, exactly.
2: before, right? That, yeah, and I am surprised what, it's not a it's a, not and, a major. And we're working with two
1: right now to try and incorporate the body of knowledge into the industrial safety education. Right. Um, it, but we're also trying to figure out how to move it into STEM processes in high schools because. That natural selection process is leaving creative people out that what we understand about what we do is important to those people's development. Mm -hmm.
0: Is is what we do a non engineering function, a non technical function?
1: It is to them, to us. Let's answer
0: answer for us.
1: Are
3: are we technical people? See, here's what's interesting is uh, uh, our courses are accredited by the University of Idaho. When we first started it, we were in the Department of Philosophy. That's where the potato was invented. That's exactly right. That's why we had a potato bar last night. No, that's right. But now we're in the Department of Engineering because it was proven that the process is repeatable, that that you can take uh, independent of one another if you use the tools right and correctly and come to the same conclusions as far as the organizational influences as to why people do what they do, the substitution test, so to speak, right? Yeah. So I absolutely think it's a science. It's a it's a soft science, but it is no doubt a science. Well, I
0: think, it's it, empirical. I'm not even uh, sure. It's uh, a soft
3: yeah. But if I, you if you look
2: at the who where the uh, researchers are, it's mostly at an organizational level. Yeah, they're mostly organizational folks. Uh, uh, yeah, there's tech technology involved, but it's it's at it's at the management of of the organization and how the yeah. systems work. Here's That's my risk. biggest problem. Just Here's before God. just a, 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 a moment. My biggest challenge for managers, they don't know how organizations work. Exactly.
3: They don't know how their organizations create success or failure. And by the way, that started in the beginning of the industrial age. Mm-hmm. Our yes. management has not kept up. In fact, our technology has outrun our ability to manage it mm-hmm. in the traditional way. Correct. Well, for years. Uh, yeah. And right. there's this gap there that you would think they would obviously see. Well, but it's Taylorism, right? It's classic
0: Taylorism right. to separate the work from the thing. Yeah. Well, and the, so. and then
1: we're still – uh, promoting people on their technical
0: competence. Exactly.
1: Instead, instead of, their of their ability, ability to lead. To manage, and then yeah. we're not developing their ability so to is, lead. Is, is totally human
0: agree. performance uh, is resilience maybe a better question? Is that a, a non technical skill? Because I will tell you that the people that are most successful, the people we like, Reason is a great example, Rasmus is a great example, Decker's a great example, Wood's a great example. So let's just go through Decker's pedigree, all right? So uh undergraduate and master's level is a European degree in psychology PhD in engineering right like a philosophy said strong background in psychology strong background in engineering was right
2: yeah but i here looking at all three of all of us you know we we got our our our, our starts in technology in operations or in maintenance we came in and actually operated, right? And then we graduated. So at least I graduated to realize, well, if you want to perform event-free or more profitably or more productively, you got to look at your your system, your organization. Right.
1: So I think we're the rare crossover that is that is a mix of both that has to be understood. And there's not a lot of people out there that are studying that part. Here's here's a real risk, as I see it. We're now starting to shift so that some academics are taking over um, and saying, if it's not coming through academics, it's not real.
2: Yeah. And if we're not
1: that. careful, the academics are going to take over. And those of us who are practitioners yeah. are going to be left behind because the, the press on academics is better than the press on practical. And, but we are the mix of psychology Mm-hmm. And physics. And if you match those two things together, the psychology of why humans do what we do as individuals and organizations, and the physics that we're exposed to that create risk, that's human performance. And no. And and so shifting it to engineering, yeah. we're constantly having to tell them there's a psychology behind I know. And engineering. Well, this is it, it not, a, there's not a sweet fit. The ing- there isn't. But we are that sweet spot that where we go from here is someone capitalizing on understanding how we communicate that piece, so both ends want to meet in the middle. You know well,
0: this where the is, model is? Behavioral economics.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, it it is. Well, this is why I decided to call what I do human, and organizational performance. I I stopped saying human performance because that gave the connotation of that this is just a worker problem. So I added the ampersand symbol and the O, organization, because I want managers to realize you're part of this problem or or,
3: or this issue as well. And I think this is good. And, you know, Jay Allen has interviewed some of us. But he he asked me a very interesting question and referred to – all four of our names came up as forefathers. Now I don't consider myself a forefather. I'm writing our, of a foremother. You, 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 I'm a forebrother. But, but Todd, <laughs> you've mentioned this many times. All of us are writing on the backs of giants that created the, uh, or not created, but came up with the philosophy. And we've just taken it to fruition, right. right? But he says, how do we know that the original theorists, so to speak, whether it be the DOE side or the impo, that it's not getting lost, that the message is not going to get diluted or adulterized? And I love, Rob, the fact that, that you're bringing up the point of uh, if we don't capture this, then the next generation of this could look totally different. And before long, you're right back to where you are And at. we're
1: risking that with people who get excited. They come to a Shane or Rob a Tony. They say, how do I do what you do? I want to do it. And they, and they approach it as a consulting opportunity. Instead of understanding how we got where we got and what you had to go through. Which is
0: kind of Decker's new book, not the promo, his new book. Correct. But the foundation's book is really interesting because his fear is that if we don't understand how we got to where we got to – we're destined to repeat exactly, yes. and that's the why
3: we all climbed the Grand T. Te- this is my analogy. We all climbed the Grand Teton. You've got scrapes on your knees. I got scrapes on my elbows. We all climbed it. The new people want a helicopter to the top. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's like you can't do that. There are some things if you don't experience firsthand. And- and well, and have both sides of the coin of knowing what's like. And I wonder
0: how much of that is developmental. I wonder how much you have to start by being fixated on air, then fall out of love with air, fall in love with systems. So
1: here, you know what what we've seen over the years, and we you know we've had a great opportunity. We had a good run, twenty five oh, years. You, you know you know, over over two hundred and fifty thousand students. Right. And and some of those people rise to the top, not so they can, not so that they can be consultants but because it changes their life, and their organization in such drastic ways that I get chills when I talk about it. They're you not know? doing it, but they never take that out into the world because yeah. they don't either don't have the opportunity or that's not their life. So you have that piece of when we talk about standing on the shoulders of giants and then I don't consider it giants, but standing on someone's shoulders and then some of us. I believe that we, all four of us, were willing to jump off yes. those shoulders. Yes. Yeah. Yep. The question well, how is, much is, in the how new much, generation, who's going to be willing to jump off? Yeah, much, when they want a helicopter to the top. How yep. much
0: are you willing to? I mean, and how much have you been willing to change? How much have you been willing to let go of things that you once thought were, were sacred tenets of human performance that you now realize probably I, weren't?
1: I mean, I can give an example,
0: and, and that's
1: Heinrich's pyramid. You know, I knew it wasn't a great example from the beginning, but how do you move people from this thing that they're taught for eight years in school to something that you know is a false representation of what's really going on? Right. So you draw the line. And as you're drawing the line, you're abandoning the concepts along the way. That was our conversation before. I can't get up in front of people telling you this is BS, it's not true, you should drop it. I have to say here's the path you take
3: to that new future. And think of it from their perspective. What you're asking them to do is get on a boat on an island and row to another island. They can't see. I mean, that takes a lot of faith. And so one thing I ran into very quickly, Rob, to your point is, and it's, again, another quote. I can't remember who said it, but it's hard to get a person to believe something when their salary depends on them not believing that. Correct. So when you're trying to get them to do something that even though they know in their gut it's right or what they're doing is wrong, um, that is hard to fight that battle. Can I can I give you my least favorite phrase that I hear
1: when I go out? Oh, I, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not Jim Jones. We're yeah. not Jim Jones. We don't want you to drink Kool-Aid. We want you to b- step up, be a leader, use some science-based evidence to move your organization to a place that people don't get hurt, maimed being killed, equipment doesn't get damaged or broken, and everybody's satisfied.
3: Yeah, I
1: don't, Kool-Aid doesn't do that. <laughs> yeah, I, not even the best Kool-Aid. <laughs> not even the best Kool-Aid.
2: I, I think uh, my reaction to your question is, is there's a tendency to want to uh, take the 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 science the hro resilience engineering science and research and try to apply it in an idealistic way without realizing most organizations are in a business there's there's a and so i have to admit i've taken their concepts and perhaps oversimplified some of these ideas you know so that managers can understand it right all right so i so
3: that, I don't know if that's been y'all, your, oh, your no, experience. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, you, you have to use terms and phrases that bring it back to, you know. Real life. St- yeah, and then you can slowly build it back up again. Mm-hmm. If, if I was to 10 years ago in there and go in there and talk about failing safely and the capacity of resilience and all that, they weren't ready for it. No. But, but the foundation is built to the point yeah. that we're ready to have those conversations. Well, that,
0: and that's been the secret. My problem with HRO, with high reliability, yeah. is we basically said, become these five things. But it was the journey. If you look at highly reliable teams, they never think they're reliable because they're constantly questioning Right. To they, they would reliable. never
3: self uh, identify them. Well, I think, them. So I think like that's,
0: that's what killed healthcare. Well, healthcare is in trouble because they said become
2: these five things. Yeah, I think, uh, and that's one of the things I, I've, I've struggled with with managers. They want the criteria and say we want to have a plan, a, a management plan to get us to be in a a KPI a, a high for HRO. Right. Well, it's not – I like the way that some of the researchers are changing it. It's now high reliability seeking yeah. or resilience seeking. Yeah. That's a better and then, and characterization. And you look teams that are really reliable, and they're seeking.
0: They're, they're seeking. They're, they're You're never, never right. Yeah, I mean, they never they, they, they will, They're the last group to say they're reliable. So for
1: us, I, I've had to step back. You talk about leaving our old paradigms. And I've had to step back and say, if safety isn't an outcome, right – how is highly reliable organization an outcome yeah. so why aren't we focusing on what creates that outcome as opposed to the outcome itself so we keep right. labeling these things and and people love the label you know mm-hmm. we're going to do the five things and we'll be a highly reliable organization Instead, our path has been to develop capacity and resilience. Well, how do you develop capacity and resilience that is sustainable? Those are the elements that create this condition that would be considered highly reliable without people wanting to do KPIs for HRO. Where Mm -hmm. are we at on the journey for where are you at in where do you stand on your capacity? Are you improving it or reducing it? Where do you stand on? resilience are you good at it are you flexible or are you bad at it
2: that's why i yeah. like eric holnagel's uh, resilience analysis grid you know he taught he calls uh, his uh, uh uh cornerstones potentials yeah they yeah. for their potentials you never arrive but you're, you're you're yeah you know anticipate monitor respond yeah. and learn you, how do you improve the potentials the effectiveness of those those uh, practices yeah. if you will
0: what else we miss, you guys? Thanks for your time.
2: Oh, absolutely. We missed forty minutes
1: with Shane. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I,
0: you can you can buy him books, but you can't make him read. A lot of people think they can just come up and take our picture. I just come in and just flip in there and <laughs> swing in like he's a, doing a crime. I was trying yeah. to be
3: what, what's it called when you're you're fashionably late you know i think fashionably really late is what it's called <laughs> yeah, i think I, I, i'm pretty sure that sums it up it takes a pretty dang good meaning i don't know to about get me taking part, a nap the late, the late you got, got. Do you think you him? no but I, no. i'll tell you the one thing that that is interesting though is and rob you touched on it the university part and how do we uh i i have tried to work with asse for years and years and years for example with uh uh, ASSE safety professionals yep. because it's all left brain factual stuff. Yep. And yet, I think it's been proven now that most of it, or at least a big chunk of it, is this right brain, organizational, contextual, yes. all the stuff we yeah. talk about. But man, that is a hard egg to break. They, I, they are think, so hellbound.
1: So, to use your phrase, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting something out there related to leadership. Yeah. Just like people believe today that. Everything we know about human performance is on the internet, so they don't need to talk to yeah. experts about human performance or the journey. All they need to do is Google it, right? And they'll get the DOE handbook, yeah. and they'll yeah. be
3: able to do it. Which doesn't yeah. contain a lot of hows. No, it mm-hmm. doesn't. And and I've been guilty of that because I tell them it's out there, but how the, the hows is the most important part it of is. it. The knowledge it is. you it can is. gain anywhere, but
1: and 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 they forget their why. Yeah. Well, so for the last thing we cover is don't forget the why.
0: I, I think the pressure to do greatly outweighs the pressure to learn. And so they, they'd rather have like something to go and do yeah. than to actually spend the time and try to gut through reason or, yeah. or read Decker's second version. Or well, that's, version.
2: that's why I emphasize with my clients uh, business case. Yeah, you have to understand the business case, and personnel safety is part of the business case. Yeah, profitability, all that's got to factor in into uh, management decisions, executive
3: decisions to apply these concepts. Yeah, when yeah. some people say to me, "Well, they're just doing it for the money," it's like, "Well, okay, but how are you getting your paycheck?" Yeah, I so, mean, so no, nope, you
2: know, let me nothing... say this: there's one thing. <laughs> I'll say this: there's no organization that's ever been formed for the purpose of being safe. Every organization has a business purpose, whether sure. it's nonprofit, sure. profit, they have a business And if mission. we don't understand that, we, they're the ones that suffer,
1: not us, if we don't get that. We have to come at them from their paradigm and exactly. shift it, not from what we know. And, and I mean, I, I think that between the four of us, we're pretty good at that piece which is why we're pretty good at what we do. I think what we're going to lose is people that understand what that is if we're not careful and people don't come, yeah. aren't developed in that.
0: Right. And I think a lot of that is on us.
3: So what does that mean, though? I mean, because I, I, I think it would be sad to take all the experience, and it's not just us four, but we're here right now, and not somehow capture that in, a, in, in some form. That can be passed on.
1: And it's a, it's a two-edged sword, right? Yeah. Do you try and develop people that are just going to develop for their needs? Or do, you, or do you find the people that step up and say, I'll carry your bags, I'll do whatever, and weed them out through the mm. process? Well, of, right, right. And, you know, in our organization, I I never – I've shared this with you. I never thought we would have this cadre of consultants that do it because they have a passion for the outcome of yeah. the of the client mm-hmm. because they all lived it. All of our consultants have lived it as deployers right. multiple times before they ever came to us and said, you know, I'd really like to do this with a lot of other people. I've done it with two or three companies, and and I love what I do. I just don't want to be puked at a, at, at a single company doing it, um, but I think that – that developing those folks into that next generation or we, in our company we call them standard bearers mm. how do you develop standard bearers that will be out there internal that, champions and yeah. willing to be on a little bit of the bleeding edge like we've been yeah
0: you think that's enough that's enough for that's me enough. I feel no, like that's, enough. <laughs> enough. that's more than enough <laughs> thank you thank you thank, thank you, for you the thank opportunity. you John I think it was about at this point that uh, everybody was having a little fluid balance issues. I think people just needed to get up and walk around. It went way longer than I thought it did, uh, or I thought it would. I knew it went that long because I was there. But I thought it was worth – I didn't even cut anything out. I thought it was worth just playing for you guys. Just so you could have a record of what that conversation was like, I'd like to do this again and invite even more people and sort of collectively get the get the story of – of where things are. I I don't know if that's interesting or not to you guys. It it's interesting to me just because I sort of remember the struggles we went through and how, how, how different human performance and new safety was in the olden days, as opposed to how it is now. And it's flatly better now. There's, there's, uh, there's just no argument. It's, it's, it's really morphed in a direction that's much, much more productive and uh, much more effective. And, and, and I think part of the journey we were initially on, uh, was vital to getting it to move in that direction and including new people, new thinkers, that's been really vital. And that's where you come in. That's, that's the part you play is you're writing the next chapters of this right now And whatever you do, whatever your profession is, that is worthwhile. Just think about it because all the stuff you're doing now, you'll talk about it years from now maybe on a podcast i bet it's not my podcast god if it is kick me will you please just kick me all right that's today plenty of time we got we're we're an hour and 14 minutes into this thing that's plenty if you if you gutted it out to the end i'm proud of you i really am extra points for you until then i am um, learned something new every single day i i know you did today have as much fun as you possibly could that was really fun spending time with three friends thank you guys for doing that again and until then be safe